Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Well, right now, I have an author to share with you with some extremely important messages. She is Julie Federico. As Julie begins to uncork the mystery of school violence with the release of the book titled The Bad Guys and Students Can Help Keep Schools Safe, her work could not be more timely or needed. She has a phenomenal understanding of school violence. She worked for Jefferson County Public Schools in 1999 and was a first responder at the Columbine shootings. School violence is something she understands on a personal and professional level. Her unique experience made her the perfect candidate to bring healing to the Newtown, Connecticut community. Both of her school violence prevention books are dedicated to the Sandy Hook School community in Newtown, Connecticut. These books instruct students what to do if they encounter an intruder in the school or know of a student that is threatening violence. These books have the potential to save many lives, obviously so needed in the world we live in today. And so we have lots to talk about. So let's get going. Welcome to the network, Julie. Thank you so much for having me and for taking some time to talk about school violence today. It's my pleasure, and you obviously have lots to share with us. And you wrote these two books, The Bad Guys and Students Can Help Keep Schools Safe After Sandy Hook. But before we talk about theirs, if you wouldn't mind, share a bit about your background that led you to write these. I mean, you've also written two other books that deal with some serious topics. So who were you before all of these books were written? I was a middle school counselor for 14 years, mainly in Jefferson County. And the way I got started writing was a little unconventional. My students were 11 to 14 years old. All of them were recounting abuse that had happened to them, zero to around eight years old. And one day I woke up and said, is no one talking to the little people? (laughs) And that's when I wrote Some Parts Are Not For Sharing, which is a book on body safety for students, zero to eight years old. I just think I was the vehicle that God used to get this book out to the public. The first publisher I sent it to picked it up, not because I'm such a great writer, but because they saw a niche marketing. I'm the only one talking to babies about child abuse. So then you had some personal encounters with the school shootings, and is that what made you decide to write the future books that came about? Yes. I was deeply impacted by the Columbine shootings in 99. So when Sandy Hook happened, my heart just went out to those families. And I was spending New Year's and Christmas alone that year. My kids were with their father, and I was very depressed. And then I said to myself, Julie, your kids are coming back December 26th. These children in Newtown are never coming home. And that's when I felt compelled to write the books for Sandy Hook. I wrote one. I was not planning on writing two, but I read the text the next day and I said, this is too old. These are for older kids. I need to change my language. So I wrote a book for preschool to third grade. And then I also wrote one third to eighth grade. 
Now, you say that you believe that the key to preventing school violence isn't just in the parents and teachers, but the students. How so? Well, I know that there were kids the morning of Columbine that knew something bad was going to happen. They didn't have the resources. They didn't know who to call or who to tell. But if there's anything happening at school, the kids will know. Very rarely do you get a school shooting like Sandy Hook where that man was not connected to the school. He was not a student. So I don't have a ton of resources to help with that type of shooting because that's so random. What I can help with are the school shooters that are students in your own building, which is the majority of school shootings. These people will send out flares. Kids know. And we started a wonderful program here in Colorado that I bet is in other states. We have Safe to Tell, which is an anonymous reporting line. And it started after Columbine. And it's funded by the state of Colorado. You can call or text in a tip to the hotline, and they will get those reports to law enforcement. And you do not have to leave your name. Um, they're not interested in who's reporting. They're just interested in the tip. And I think that is a wonderful, wonderful program. You say that reporting possible harm does not make you a tattletale. It makes you a hero. The anonymous tip line works, and the kids are always on text, so the texting works. The texting network with kids at school is phenomenal. It's better than any metal detector, better than any surveillance camera, and the district doesn't pay for that. That's all funded by the parents <laughs> paying those cell phone bills every month. That's very it, interesting. It is interesting. It's yeah. interesting to watch. Um, it's like good news, bad news, because some bad things will happen over the text, but the kids are so connected. They would know first and they could call for help and have help arrive in just a matter of moments. Yep. I think it's important for schools to create a culture where kids can tell and you give them permission to tell, and I think they will report. And your books give that permission to even have these kind of conversations. So let's talk about the Bad Guys book. Tell us about a little bit about the book. I think the book is a stroke of genius. And again, I want to emphasize, I am talking about the school shootings where the shooter comes from within the school. Kids that are going to do harm will send out flares. And I don't mean they're writing notes and waving banners in the hallway. It's more subtle than that. But they will say and do things that will just kind of alert other kids. So in the book, the person who is trying to do harm to the school is a child. And um, I have kids that go to the principal and they report I also have in the book that kids are the eyes and ears of your school. If you have 300 kids at school, you have 600 pairs of eyes, and they will see someone in the hallway. They're always out and about. If someone's in the school who's not supposed to be there, this is not a student but an intruder, they will know. They are your first line of defense to report the office that someone is in the building who shouldn't be there. So those, I think, are the two strengths of the book. And just more importantly, starting the conversation. I think some schools don't want to talk about this, and they want to say it won't happen here. I don't think you can really say that anywhere, because it happens everywhere. Well, I guess I could understand that if a child, a little preschooler, you don't want to scare the child. So a book like this could help that conversation along, perhaps, and um, not seem so scary. Right. If you're in a public school, they're doing lockdown drills. Anyway, so they are talking about okay. this with kids as young as three and four years old. Wow. It'd be nice to read this book after the drill because it just kind of gives teachers a language so that they don't have to struggle with words and what to say and what not to say. So the next book, Students Can Help Keep Schools Safe, that's exactly what you're talking about. It's for older children, presents numerous scenarios showing these young readers what is normal and acceptable at school and what is not. Right. It has the same message 
I get that. Um, as I was thinking about talking with you today, I was thinking about the signs that students should look for, and and we were talking about the anonymous conversations. But if we're suggesting that a, a student or a group of students sees something or hears something that doesn't sound normal to them, I mean, do we still have that concern of labeling that everybody's going to point to the kid that wears the dark jacket, even though he might be a perfectly rational and sane person, he might just look different? Do we worry about finger pointing and labeling incorrectly? No. If you have someone sending out signals or flares that they're going to do harm okay. to a school or bring weapons to a school or harm a certain group of kids... I don't think kids make false reports. Um, that hasn't been my experience. But I believe if they're really talking about violence, and I mean real violence, their reports would not be in vain and they would not be false. What about parents? What should parents be concerned about when they hear conversations amongst their children? With parents, it's harder because they're hearing information secondhand. Mm -hmm from their students, so again, something gets lost in the translation. I think from parents' point of view, if you're hearing the same kid's name over and over again and things are escalating, I think as a parent, you'll know when it's time to call either a tip line or the school. I put a journal in the back of both books because what happens with some of the, and I say some, because again, there's not a complete pattern. Some of these school shooters, it will start out with low-lying incidents that school administration may not investigate because they're low-lying. So in the back, I put a journal. So if, you know, if you've got something going on all year and this is starting in August, it's now May or February, and you've got all of this information, you bring that book in, you throw it on the principal's desk and go, you can ignore one of our complaints, but you can't ignore the 20 that are in this book. Because some of these threats start out small and they're easy to dismiss. But when you get a pile of them together, and if you have more than one parent who has my book, I always wanted my book to be on the school supply list. And I think it should be with all of these shootings because the journal in the back is a godsend. It's just a documentation of everything that's happened throughout the year. And it can be really helpful if you have to build a case. Sometimes, though, you don't need any of that. There's just one incident, one remark, and you know you need to act on that. So there's kind of two avenues, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I love that idea of the journal in the back. And what you're saying is brilliant as far as making it part yeah. of the school supply list. I mean, if they're having lockdowns at, at age three years old, obviously it's part of their program and protocol. Well, why not just pop in a book for everybody as well and show the kids how to use that journal in the back and just make that part of the uh, process? I think it's a stroke of genius. I know how schools work. Mm -hmm. And I know that some things get dropped through the cracks. Yeah. And I also know sometimes... Administration just doesn't have enough information to act on the report. And with that journal, more information comes, especially if you've got a class of 30 kids all writing about the same kid. That principal is going to pick up your book, say, thank you, Mrs. Johnson or whoever, and call 911. He's not even, they're not even going to question anything about that material. It will go right to law enforcement. Absolutely. It's an easy layer to add to it as well. It's not like you're buying giant uh, metal no. detectors or locks or anything. It's, it's cheap. It's, yeah, it's, a it's simple, darn cheap. It's and a it's probably book. the most effective, yes. which is interesting because you don't think yep. that's going to save a school. You think more bars, more yep. security cameras. A security camera is not going to help you. Most of these school shootings are over with in less than two minutes. So by the time you see it on the camera, yeah. it's almost going to be over. 
also in our lives today, parents are just so busy. Everybody's working. Everybody's constantly texting and looking at their phone. And well, how could you pick up on these little nuances maybe that your child brings home and, and drops this little gem and nobody's paying attention? So I think it also is a plea and a cry for parents to take the time to really listen to their children. Yeah. Keep eating dinner with your kids. Yeah, true. <laughs> At the dinner time conversation is the best time yes. for 20 minutes to just turn your phone off. Thank you. And say, how was your day? Yes. It is hard to pay attention, but I would set your phone down one day a week and listen to your kids because you don't want to be on the other side of a school shooting. Yes. So it's better to be on the preventative side. So, Julie, what kind of feedback have you gotten from schools and uh, teachers and staff and parents and children? Let's, let's just talk about how it's been received. I'm a counselor. I'm not a marketing expert. The books have not been well received. People do not want to talk about this issue, which I find interesting because I talk about child abuse and domestic violence. Again, not your most welcoming, friendly issues, but people are willing to talk about child abuse and domestic violence. Those books have been very well received. This one has not been. I think it's too, it's almost too overwhelming to people that they do shy away from it um, and they don't want to talk about it. I mean, last year was a record number of school shootings, but I don't get the feeling people want to talk prevention yet. Wow. Wow. That is a fascinating answer to me. I would not have expected Yeah. My sales have been very low. I might be a little bit ahead of my time. All I need is one school district to pick it up and make it a school supply list. Mm -hmm. And then that will start some small momentum and other people will catch on. Yeah, you would think that a parent that would buy the book or a grandparent would then take it to the school and say, hey, look, how do we get this into the school system? I'm sure there's even donors, people that donate to yes. parents that donate to, or the PTA or have a fundraiser or something. Hey, we're, we're attempting to reduce any chances of school violence. Buy this candy bar so we could all have a copy of the book. It just seems like it would be a pretty simple thing to do. It is. I think it is. Simple. Well, I think of realtors, you know, here they have their name on all the shopping carts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Realtors could pick up a yep. class set of 30 and then wrap the book in their promo materials with their name and number. But anyway, they put their name and they say, you know, we're the realtor who cares about school violence or the bank or the insurance company. So I do believe there are a lot of potentials for families not to have to buy it, but to have yes. a donor. Mm-hmm go beat the streets and, and right. hit all the realtors. Well, I'm on your bandwagon. So I'm going to think about this. <laughs> you go out and find some realtors for me. That would be perfect. I would bring them money. So it's a win-win. Absolutely. I like this idea. I'm going to have to think about this. I, I always love creative ideas. I'm going to have to chew on this for a little while. Now, okay. you, you said something to me prior to going on the air. And if you don't mind, I'd like to delve into it because I think it's an extremely important. We were talking about the ripple effects of a school shooting and not just the day after or the week after and not just the students or not just the parents, but it reaches out into the community and it touched you. And it's, I think it's just proof. It's not contained in a little bubble that this is a huge issue that affects communities and people and lives that we, we don't tend to think about. And I know this is kind of a personal story, but maybe just share a yeah. little bit if you don't mind. Sure. Like I said, I worked for Jefferson County Schools and I was working as a middle school counselor at Evergreen Middle School the day of the Columbine shootings. After work, I decided to go to Columbine. I didn't even know where it was because I was working about 30 miles west of there. Um, Jefferson County is a huge district. So I drove to Columbine. I went down and was um, 
at the evacuation center. The school was closed. No one was getting into the school. All of the parents were at Leewood Elementary, which was the reunification center. And I went in and helped parents find their kids' names on big Someone had the foresight to have kids sign a piece of butcher paper when they left. Um, So we looked for names on the whiteboard. I talked to families in the gym, was where everyone was waiting for their kids. Um, And I was there about six hours answering phones. We had phone calls from all over North America. People were very generous with donations and love and prayers and kind words. So I just kind of walked into that not knowing what to expect. But I felt like I should be there, you know. I felt like I should be there and try to help. And I was helpful. And it was good. I did not have a lot of fallback or a lot of pushback from going down that day to help until it was 12 years later. I took a leave of absence from my school district to write the books in 2010. When I went back to work in 2011, they placed me as an involuntary transfer at Columbine High School, of all things. We have 186 schools in Jefferson County. And for some reason, they placed me there. At this point, this is July of 2011. So I do the math. You know, I'm like 12 years. That's 12 years ago. I should be good. I said, yes, I'll take the job. I walked into work the first day. That's the first time I had ever been at Columbine. And the memories came back. I had horrible PTSD, which I had never experienced in the past 12 years, which is interesting because you think if I was going to have PTSD, I would have had it shortly after going to Leewood. After Leewood, I also went back to two other elementaries and a middle school, and we did debriefings. So my day there was not just one time. I probably went a total of four or five times back down to Littleton to that community to try to help. But I never had any fallout until I walked through the doors of Columbine. I would walk over the rebel, which is a little rebel that they put in tiles on the floor. It was a class gift, and I'd walk over that every morning. That's right where the shooting broke out at. And I could not function. I had no short-term memory. I could not do my job, and I was constantly in crises mode. I would leave the school and go out to a meeting, and I would feel completely normal. And I'm like, that is so strange. But when I was in the building, I couldn't function. I didn't feel safe at all. And if you don't feel safe, you can't do your job. I give my heart and soul to my job, and I was not serving that community well, so I lasted July to October, and then I resigned, and I left. I feel unfortunate. I learned later like information I could have used yesterday, if you've ever heard that expression. Mm-hmm. Later I learned you could ask for an involuntary out of Columbine and they'll give it to you because of this reason. Okay. They've had other people with this same problem and they will place you at another school, no questions asked. I didn't know that till later and I wish I had done that because I could have been fine at the 185 other schools that they could have offered me. Right. Um, but I really struggled. I have really struggled to find a job since then. And again, I think what you just said is important. It is not the nexus of the school that is impacted. I'm probably 12 steps removed from Columbine. I worked 30 miles west of Columbine, and I was impacted by that far away. So I have to know there's other people in the nexus of mile one, mile two, mile three, mile four, and I bet it goes further than 30 miles. The nexus of a school shooting goes out so far, you can't measure it, and you can't reach it, and you can't solve it. So then I jump back to the beginning and say, let's just cut to the chase and prevent the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because once it's out there, you can't solve it. Right. And you don't know how I meet people constantly who were impacted by it. And it breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. People will come up and all they say to me is, I was there. And I know what they're talking about. So that's a long answer. You won't hear these stories on the news 
No one's going to do a news story on me being so far removed from the epicenter. The news reports on the families, the loved ones who were in the building, the parents who lost children, um, the teachers who were harmed. They report on the building and the actual epicenter, but they don't take time to go out to these outreaching stories because it's not sensational media and it's not that exciting. But people are impacted far beyond the ram of and far beyond in number of years from the day that it happened. Wow. Kind of leaves me speechless. Um, yeah, so let's just back up to where we were a minute ago. Let's get on board with the realtors. There you <laughs> they go. can help us, you know, they can help us get these into schools. Anyone who's listening from a school district, call me you, and just say, I want to be the first district to sign up for this. And we're going to protect this district through and through, you know. The kids know. The kids know what's going on. And all of them have a phone in their hand. I mean, not at the elementary, but at the middle and high school levels. If you make it safe for them to talk, they will talk. So why don't you share where folks, these realtors and everybody else who's listening, <laughs> can, find, <laughs> so funny. Um, can find out realtors, more. Realtors, <laughs> insurance agents, banks. You got it. Wanting to promote their own business. they can. You can find me at juliefederico.com. Or you can Google any one of my book titles that we've talked about, and you can find me that way. My email is easy. It's just it's juliefederico at gmail. And I'm out on all the media sites. I'm pretty easy to find. I think the harder question is, is do you want to try to tackle this with me? I need a team of people. I mean, I can't do this alone. If you want to come on board, sponsor one classroom. We'll start with that and move on from there. I love this. JulieFederico.com. You are amazing, my friend. This has been a blessing to have this conversation with you. Before we head out, is there anything that we missed, though, that you wanted to talk about today? No. Just keep your eyes and ears open. You know what I mean? I don't think this is going away anytime soon, but it can be prevented. So just keep your eyes and ears open. Listen to your children. Keep making family dinners. Get hamburger helper if you don't want to cook, but sit down with your kids for at least 20 minutes a night and just listen to them. Great advice. The books, The Bad Guys and Students Can Help Keep Schools Safe, written by Julie Federico, juliefederico.com. I just, I can't even thank you enough for, for who you are, what you've done in the past to help your community and what you're doing today. So I'm just praying that we get people on board. I'm going to do what I can. juliefederico.com. Julie, thank you so much for today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Happy New Year. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up Radio. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. It's cold outside, and it will be for months. The experts at BNK Heating and Cooling have provided the residential and commercial properties of Greater Cleveland with excellent heating services since 2000. They're highly trained and qualified to work on all types of heating systems in your home or business. They handle full system upgrades and overhauls, services, repairs, and installations. And their focus on customer satisfaction and quality work have made BNK Heating and Cooling Northeastern Ohio's favorite choice for heat and air conditioning services. They're my heating people, and they can be yours too. Call Bill at 216-210-2529 and stay toasty this winter. That's 216-210-2529 and tell them I sent you. Well, there you have it. 
lots to think about and plenty to share with others. And to do so, simply head over to the website, speakupandstayalive.com, where you can listen to today's show again and hear previous episodes, all under the Radio Archives button. And while you're there, visit the shop page to get a copy of the life-saving book, Speak Up and Stay Alive, Your Hospital Survival Guide. And for more of my books, visit Amazon.com. Type my name in the search bar, that's Pat Rulo, R-U-L-L-O, and you will find some other goodies. Now, if you're in the Cleveland, Ohio area, listen to the show every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock on WHKW AM 1220, as well as on WHKZ AM 1440. And tune in again every Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Same show, but on WHK AM 1420. We're also on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SpeakUpTalkRadio.com, and about 50 additional online venues. So uh, no excuse to miss a single episode. And if you just need more of me, invite me to speak to your group, club, church, business, or hospital. My presentations are fun, fast-paced, informative, and life-saving. And I can guarantee this, no one falls asleep on my watch. Visit speakupandstayalive.com for more information. Email me at pat at speakupandstayalive.com or call me and leave a message on the radio studio line 440-725-5462. That is 440-725-5462. Well, that is it for today. Until next time, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice.